Life Happens Weekdays 1 to 3 p.m. Professor Veronica Ikerman is from the Department of Internal Medicines at the University of Pretoria on the line with us this afternoon. Prof, thanks for your time. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's only a pleasure to join you. Can we, you know, help us understand the terminology of vaccine apartheid? Just from your understanding, what does that mean? I think what really this refers to is the, the massive discrepancy when it comes to the vaccine rollout. So, I mean, if you look at the so-called first world, if you look at the US, the UK, parts of Europe, they're really busy getting gear to resume their lives. And vaccination rollout there has been, uh, you know, quite extensive. Whereas here in Africa, there are still countries which have received or yet to receive their first vaccine, never mind any significant kind of rollout that uh, reaches towards herd immunity. So if you think of the, I mean, vaccines that have been globally given, the, the discrepancy is really stark. And uh, I think that's what the, the so-called apartheid refers to, this stark discrepancy where Africa is really lagging behind. There's been a lot of talk, Prof, around the pricing of vaccines, that it is quite strange that the poorer countries are having to pay more than the richer countries. Um, and, and in fact, it doesn't seem like that there is an option there. Explain that pricing to us. So uh, the, the issue is that pricing needs to be fixed. Mm. Um, so there was a conversation, um, I'm sure you're aware, between our president and yes. the French president on, on Friday. Friday. And this yeah. was actually one of the issues that featured, yeah. to say that we need a fixed exit price for vaccines. Mm-hmm. And, and this kind of extortion is just completely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And you're quite right, yes. If you actually work out per vaccine in the richer countries, then they are paying much less than we are procuring our vaccinations for. There, there was a lot of talk as you were referring to that conversation around IP and, yes. and, and the fact that, you know, IP cannot be free and I suppose everybody agrees to that. So, so what's behind the disparities? If we're all paying, why is Africa still behind on, on getting the vaccines? Yes, yeah, so I think it's got to do, I think if we first touch on the IP issue, mm. So there was also a lot of misunderstanding around that. I think what we, so what South Africa is asking for is not for IP to indefinitely not be, a, mm. you know, to be relinquished. Mm. We're asking for a temporary hold on that so that we can manufacture our own uh, vaccine. If we can manufacture locally, if we have technology transfer IP to be able to manufacture locally, we can certainly decrease costs. And the idea would be to also then service other countries in Africa. It wouldn't just be for us. Um, but the, the ins and outs about why the, the huge price differences, I think, uh, are yet to be determined. I think there's, there's certainly more than just the cost of, of production and IP involved. And yes, of course, IP and invention rights, and, and that must be paid for. One of the suggestions on Friday was, in fact, that the richer countries take a bigger brunt yeah. of that <laughs> yes. rather than South Africa or African countries. Um, so... Yeah, those discrepancies are remain an issue. What's what's? I mean, I know that's the ideal, but from your your work over the years, what's likely to be the outcome of these conversations? Right, <laughs> I was I was actually encouraged on Friday um, by the idea that. Uh, that there's a realization and mm. I think a lot of clarification that occurred. Mm. I think the, the idea that, especially around intellectual property, mm. was resolved and what we're really asking for. I think there's also hope, which might, might be less altruistic, but I think the Europe and uh, 
the northern hemisphere are realizing there's this slogan going around, nobody's safe until everybody's safe, mm-hmm. that their own safety is threatened mm. if the other countries are not vaccinated. And for that reason, if not for a more altruistic reason, I do think we will start seeing an increase. I mean, the, the, the French government have already pledged additional doses, 30 million additional doses to the COVAX program, as well as additional funds. They have asked for a clear target to see where those, how many countries need how many people vaccinated by what timeline. And I think those are important steps in actually acquiring the kind of vaccination process that we we need to see happening in Africa. Do you think the idea that this conversation threatens investments in in innovation, is is it a real threat? I don't think so. I think if you contextualize it, of course, I mean, if there isn't intellectual property rights, Mm. It, that would kill invention. Mm. But this is a pandemic. This is a na- this is a worldwide emergency. And again, you know, um, for for us as a economy to recover worldwide, we need all countries vaccinated. The threat of COVID nineteen does not go away until we have global vaccine coverage. Mm. And I think this should be seen as a specific pandemic response, not a not a global. Even if that that gets put onto paper or some sort of treaty that we say for a pandemic, for a global emergency, during that time, we value human life above those scientific rights. <laughs> and the scientists who actually obviously own the IP would say, well, yes, but, you know, <laughs> it's my intellectual property. I, of course I need to earn yes. from it. And obviously Absolutely. that's a difficulty with this kind of conversation. And hence I ask, you know, what is likely to be the outcome? I think I think we are reaching some sort of a middle ground in understanding what it is that we expect or the expectations from, from people like ourselves, South Africa, and what we, what we made clear. And and the willingness, especially from the president of France, saying that we get it. But but is this likely to go anywhere? I think time will tell, honestly, because the goodwill was very clear. But that's from one that's yeah. from one specific country, while Germany um, included in that as mm, well. Mm. So whether this will translate into really uh, a practical process where this happens or whether this will just translate into the Northern Hemisphere pouring more money um, into the, the local vaccine processes. What I suspect will also start happening now is the countries who've hoarded vaccines, who are now reaching um, herd immunity, will have, if you want to call it, leftover vaccine that will be redirected. But the IP issues, I think, remain to be seen. And I think they have to be ma- managed very carefully because, as you well said, there are scientists, there's a lot of work, there's a lot of capital investment that went into this. And by no means do we want to take that away. The burden of it just perhaps needs to be carried by those who can manage it financially. Professor Ekman, let's just talk about what's hampering our progress in developing an innovation in the space of health. So is it capacity? What is it that stops us from innovating ourselves, our own products with our own IP so that we don't find ourselves in these kind of conversations every time? Absolutely. I think in the future, that is what we need to look at. And we need to be investing in the human capital Mm. to generate that. Mm. I think the platforms are not necessarily in place on a global scale. Mm. Having said that, you know, South Africa was involved in many of the vaccine trials. Sure. And uh, much of the data was performed here. And Mm. we have been involved in many other vaccine trials, but not on the scale that is necessary now. And at, you're absolutely right. This is this is what we need. We don't need a bailout mm. um, from the north each time. We need to develop capacity. And um, there were various enterprises that were speaking in that direction as well to say, 
All we want is the means to actually generate locally. And yeah, we have fantastic scientists yeah. in Africa yeah. and South Africa. If you look at the work done just on the variants, I mean, South Africans are leading that on the scientific front. Mm. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a development platform and perhaps we should refocus our resources towards those sciences. I think, you know, um, that would make a big difference in future. And hopefully we've learned some lessons during this pandemic. I want to ask to take a quick call so that we expand a little bit on, on that, because I think, you know, it's probably time to look inward, to ask ourselves yes. if we've got the skills and the talent, perhaps governments need to actually gather that money to fund that kind of research internally rather than, um, you know, channeling that money elsewhere and, and with a begging bowl, always begging for these kind of rights to to be um, to be negotiated. Let's take a quick call as well um, from those who want to add their voices to this conversation on 011-714-2006. I'll also take a voice note. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 106.6 FM in Bloemfontein. Professor Veronica Ekerman is with me. Uh, she is from the Department of Internal Medicines at the University of Pretoria, and we're discussing, amongst other things, vaccine apartheid. You've been hearing that term a lot, particularly from our president, who's been a champion of of equality, really, in in that particular conversation. And and so we continue our conversation. And Prof, thanks for your time one more time. Is the conversation internally? And I know our president has been talking about, you know, acquiring and and what. They they had to do the steps that they had to take to acquire um, from from the globe as a unit, as an African unit together. But are we having the necessary conversations as the continent in terms of funding actual research and funding what it will take for us to actually manufacture our own vaccines? Prof, are now you starting? Hi, can you hear me? Now I can hear you. Go ahead. Sorry. These conversations are indeed starting. Um, Unfortunately, you know, (laughs) probably a little bit late in the current Mm. context. Mm. But like I said, this has been a a wake-up call. um, And there's there's been a a major call for science and innovation and for redirection of funds towards science and innovation. Um, I think what we're dealing with now is really we're trying to make up and catch up with the rest of the world. But we can't be caught unawares like this again. We really cannot. Um, we have such potential in South Africa and in Africa in terms of research, in terms of our patient populations, in terms of what has actually been produced before, that the, the biggest slice of the cake will have to go to innovation and science and research in the future if we're going to ever stop, like you said, asking for the hands up, hand up. Are you surprised by this? Because I, I certainly am, because we were quite invested in R&D in HIV and AIDS. So, you know, the fact that we are now, it seems like we caught on the back foot is a bit surprising to me. I think so. Um, but in terms of, of funding, you know, worldwide, if, if I, I think of my own research, which is obviously on a much smaller scale. But many of our researchers in South Africa are involved in numerous other activities. You know, mm, we mm, have, we're mm. clinicians, mm. we have... And in terms of funding, our major funders are often, you know, not local. Not local, yeah. Getting local funding yeah. is really, really difficult. Um, and I think the, the proportion of funding that is set apart for science and for research needs to be significantly increased. It's, it's uh, the platform to develop these kinds of platforms takes dedicated scientists. It takes dedicated time and resources. 
And they need to be in place before we can really produce any significant so, results. So, Prof, maybe let me just challenge this particular thought. In my view, then, it doesn't seem to me, when you look at how much we're spending in acquisitions of the final product, it doesn't seem to me that funding is the problem. It's the intention of where we direct that funding. So if we decided to take that money into R&D rather than acquiring finished products, perhaps we'll start somewhere. But I don't see that happening. I don't know whether I'm, I'm oversimplifying it. No, no, I, I agree with you. Um, this, and certainly at the moment, the, the finished products are costing us a lot of money. Yeah. You're right. Um, but I think at the moment, we're looking at really the global response. Mm. And what our, what the money that is being invested from Europe and other countries is for acquiring vaccines by whichever means that mm. is mm. mainly through COVAX. Um, because, again, you know, the idea is to get on top of this pandemic as soon as possible. Mm. Um, I have heard, but I haven't seen anything on paper that there are platforms being raised, that platforms are being set up. There are major companies even who are ready to invest in a platform if we can locally produce. Um, but they have asked for technology transfers and that kind of thing to happen before that can be established. So it's not totally from scratch. We have a good vaccine platform, vaccination platform, and I think South Africa was key. The MRC had a huge part to play in the J&J trials. Um, and certainly the vaccine pr- platform there was the HIV vaccination research that we could build on and capitalize on and increase. Um, but I haven't seen anything of mm-hmm. that in paper. Let's take a quick call from uh, Pastor Duma in Durban. Good afternoon, Pastor Duma. Good afternoon, Pamela, ma'am. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for calling. Thank you very much, Prof. I've got a question. Maybe I'm off topic. I'm not quite sure. But however... This vaccine has been produced by all the vaccine manufacturers and they've said, whatever happens to you after you take the vaccine, it's not our problem. Is that ethical at all? And why is that? Because you vaccinate the people. We've seen stories going out there that some people react to the thing and no vaccine manufacturer wants to take blame for it. Prof, is that ethical? Pastor Duma, thanks for your call, Professor. It's a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So I think I'd like to start by saying, um, despite the speed at which these vaccines have been developed, every principle that we usually follow in drug manufacture worldwide has been followed. I mean, the safety data is there. Um, the, the various phases of the trials were followed because it's been a worldwide engagement and platforms were utilized worldwide. We have been able to get vaccines a lot quicker than perhaps in the past. But I think it's important to realize that the safety data is there. Um, For the vaccine manufacturers, uh, like with with anything of their medication, they've got a a warning, they've got a little paper insert where if this happens to you, you take it at your own risk. I think the risk that they, that is, uh, as long as they declare the risks beforehand, um, then, you know, you are aware and you are informed of the risks you are taking when you take the vaccine, then I that they have followed the basic ethical principles that are usually followed. I mean, it's the same as with any other vaccine. You you can get a side effect. Mm. You can get an allergic reaction. Mm. Any medication, in fact, can happen. Mm. So I think it's important to realize that those uh, processes are in place and there's constant safety monitoring. Mm. Anybody that was enrolled in a trial will know that with J&J, you have to report any side effects. Um, so those processes are in place, and I think it has been ethically conducted. Mm. Let's take a quick voice note, Prof. 
Good afternoon, Pamela. Please ask uh, my learned colleague there that uh, Africa consists of a young population who are not uh, at high risk of getting uh, severe disease uh, from, from COVID-19. Isn't it enough just to uh, vaccinate our elderly and vulnerable groups, seeing that uh, you know even vaccination does not prevent one from getting infection? Uh, the young population in Africa, they are not uh, likely to suffer from uh, moderate to severe disease. Thanks. Professor Ikeman, it's a valid question when you look at the fact that our rollout has not been, you know, as as, as fast as we would all hoped it was going to be. And we now have the halting of J&J being rolled out as well. So could, should we should we adjust our expectations and our plans and maybe focus on the elderly as a continent only? Well, I think we've started by focusing on the elderly and uh, through the various countries that has been the, the basic approach yes because they are most vulnerable however I think there are a few things we need to consider the first is that young people usually only get mild to moderate disease but many of our young people have comorbidities so mm-hmm. in my ICU mm-hmm. I have not just lo- lost elderly patients okay. the second thing is young people can also still spread the disease mm-hmm. so if we're going to get to herd immunity we need to target all age groups currently we're not targeting the young we're uh, targeting the vulnerable and the elderly and the frontline workers. Okay. I'm going to ask that we take a quick break. We'll be back. I see your calls, as I'll take it after the headlines. It is, though, 1.30. Let me go to Luanda Maume for the latest in headlines at 1.30. Life Happens, weekdays, 1 to 3 p.m. Professor Veronica Ikeman is with us. She's from the Department of Internal Medicine at the University of Pretoria. And we are by and large talking about vaccine apartheid that we'd be hearing a lot about, trying to understand what it exactly means and how it affects you and I. Zaza, thanks for your call. You're calling from Cape Town. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Pimelo. Um, you know what? I still don't understand why the issue of IP is an issue when it comes to vaccines. Mm-hmm. Uh, simply because, you know, the, the companies that are manufacturing these this, this vaccines, they have got operations in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And this is, the, that this is not the only um, vaccine that they are manufacturing elsewhere or that has got an IP in another country, but they are selling it here. You understand? So, so, so what's your question, Zaza? I'm, I'm, I just want to be clear that question, we got your question. Why, why is the issue of IP an issue when the same company is manufacturing it, you have operations here? Okay. I think I understand. Let me, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think I understand. Uh, Professor Ekerman? So I think the point you're trying to make is that many of the, the vaccines that are being manufactured have been, South Africa has been integrally involved in. And that's been a major argument against the, the IP and not giving us the rights to manufacture it locally. But it seems like they were manufactured here, partly tested here, and then everybody left, you know, and South Africans still aren't vaccinated. Um, but as you know, I mean, IP is not a new concept. Mm. Um, people who invent, they invest a lot of money. So it's, it's fair enough to have um, intellectual property and certain fees associated with your rights. But I think, again, in this time of crisis, we need to just perhaps waiver those or let the bulk of that be carried by those who can afford to carry Zaza, it. Zaza, I, I'm not sure if we've answered your question. Have we answered the question that you're asking? Uh, basically, it's, it's a matter of saying, if I'm a company, mm. I'm registered to make bread in South Africa, and that bread I can sell it to, to Malawi. Mm. So why is it an issue if Malawi wants something that I already have, that I'm manufacturing in South Africa, then it's different from bread, but something else. Why is it an issue now when I have to go and manufacture it in South Africa? Because I'm the same company. 
have operations in Malawi. I have operations in South Africa. You yes, but but, but 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 just because you can manufacture it in South Africa, it doesn't mean that we, you excuse us. We ex, we still have to pay that fee. Just because you've got just because you've got operations here doesn't mean excuse you from not charging us the fee. We still have to pay the fee. No, but that's not the only vaccine that J&J is manufacturing. You know what I mean? So there are many vaccines that they make elsewhere that they sell here. Yes, but, but th- we, we are paying for all of those and their IP. Yeah, that's true. But, but, but the issue here seems to be not the money, but it seems to be the, the struggle of them allowing us to pay for that IP. I'm not sure, Prof. So I think the, the, the issue is not, you know, they're willing to provide us with vaccine if we purchase it. The IP is around per, uh, producing it locally, having basically, you know, the, the, the IP. The, it's it's giving, you, yeah. To, yeah, giving you the to formula to do it yourself. Ourselves. Exactly. The recipe, the blueprint, if you wish. So and that's, that's it's, what it's, we need to it's, it's us saying, give us yeah. the formula and then if we have plans and capacity to actually manufacture it ourselves, outside of yourselves. So give us the formula and our scientists can then reproduce the same product in other facilities without you. That's what it means. Exactly. Okay, listen, that's exactly where my point is. That's mm-hmm. why I'm saying it's so ridiculous because J&J is the same company that operates over there that is, that is here. So sure. we don't even need any formula. They can simply transfer the stock that they have that side and then they sell it here. It's as easy as that. Because it's the same operations anyway. It's the same global company. So if they have the, 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 the map or, or the roadmap or how to do things over there, why is it difficult for them to transfer the same thing to the employees in South Africa? Because it's the same operation, same company. Professor, I don't right. know how to answer it. Go ahead. <laughs> there, there is some local production of J and J in South Africa. Yeah. Um, that is going on. Yes, that is. That's actually, and that's one of the vaccines that is available to us. It's not necessarily the same with every vaccine, um, and we need to just up, upscale what we are producing locally. Um, importing the final product is is expensive and it's timiest, and uh, we can produce instead of take what's left over after the richer countries have taken their share. Mike, you're in Durban. Good afternoon, Mike. Good afternoon to you. Hi, welcome. From a very windy Durban and ice cold. We are also freezing here, Mike. The wind is Go blowing ahead. straight, straight <laughs> off the sea. The Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Okay, the vaccine. Mm. Uh, if you recall, it was December, sometime in December last year, Sula mm-hmm. Maposa deposited 230 million in some middleman's account. Right? Now there's talk about this middleman being some sort of committee headed by a Zimbabwean, and Dr. William Keyes, he's on this committee. Now, Nothing has ever been disclosed of what the vaccine actually costs. I would like to see a paper trail from that 230 million of exactly what the money has been used for. Has it been, as they pulled a, a, an Eskim trick here, like uh, all the money that went to Chandler House, the ANC uh, investment wing, all the commissions on the on the generators and boilers. Hmm. Uh, 
Professor Eckerman, there's... I investigate fraud and corruption. Thanks, Mike. And I smell a rat here. Thanks, Mike. Mike and They must evolve and tell us exactly what they spent this money on and who is getting paid handling costs and commissions and blah, blah, blah. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Professor Eckerman, the issue of integrity and and distrust and mistrust, and and unfortunately it's coming on the back of other problems that we have in this country. Um, your take on on the politics of the vaccine acquisition acquisitions? Sure, I think um, what your call is asking for is, is very, very reasonable, and that's mm. transparency. Mm, mm. And when it comes to things like this, if we're asking people to waiver their intellectual property, then this is really the time where we should be transparent and open with what we do, mm. how we do it, and where the money is spent. I think that that's very fair. Um, we, you know, there, there are lots of uh, rumors and ideas around why we haven't been able to get our rollout started as as we were meant to um but i think transparency absolutely and politics shouldn't play a role at this time this is a this is a south african emergency we're losing lives every day as clinicians and we need people vaccinated and transparency here is absolutely mandatory i agree can I ask you a very simplistic question? You know, sure. um, one one looks at how we've acquired things like simple, simple PPEs, which if you, on the face of it, unless if I'm wrong, we would have been able to manufacture ourselves and produce ourselves, and, and we didn't. We went ahead and then acquired them outside at a premium. One then has to ask the question, how serious are we about, you know, uh, bringing up our own economy and using up the skills that we have and the manufacturers that we have here if we can't do that with something as simple as a mask? No, sure. Um, I think the initial PPE was acquired internationally. However, since there has actually been a, a collaboration of African countries that have put forward and uh, produced PPE, which was locally um, sourced, and is locally produced, and I think some of our, our neighboring countries are also reliant on that. But you're quite right. Initially, we were paying, as now with the vaccines, massive prices for imported PPE, uh, PPE that was redirected to other countries, where, again, it comes to the point that we have to start being independent and we have to start building on our own human capital and skills to be able to face these emergencies without help from outside. Mm. Let's take uh, two more voice notes, Prof, before we go. Pamela, when is Africa going to stand up for itself? When is Africa going to be self-sufficient? When is Africa going to use its vast amount of natural resources to feed and take care of its people? Why is Africa always looking up to the West to be taken care of? It's about time that all these regimes that are in Africa are they are taken away so that the young ones can come and be able to take Africa forward. Africa does not need to beg the West to survive either for vaccines or for food and water for anything else. Africa can stand for itself, Pimelo. Thank you. Yeah, I think the IP question is a very valid question. And at the moment, it's a, it's a hot topic because that's what I think it's part of why Macron was here, the French president was here last week, and it's part of what uh, he promised uh, to Sir Ramaphosa, that uh, what um, the caller was complaining about um, gets sorted out, uh, because 
At the moment, nobody wants us to use what we have to our advantage. Prof, your, your final response to that. Yeah, I think very valid. Uh, the first voice note, hmm. we should be doing things by ourselves. And if anything, that this pandemic has taught us is that we need to be self-sufficient and we need to be able to produce and look after ourselves. And if they, they are going to be pandemics in future, manage them ourselves. And uh, the IP issue remains, yeah, we, we need to be able to right now deal with the emergency. There's a short-term problem. We need to get our people vaccinated. And there's a long-term problem. We need to be able to stand on our own feet. Appreciate your time, Professor Veronica Ekerman, who is uh, at the Department of Internal Medicines at the University of Pretoria.